A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Making prioritization a priority and focusing on delivering value. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Srinivas Paluri, who is the CTO at RentBase. Srinivas was previously part of a data mesh implementation as the Senior Director of Data Engineering at Zillow. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Srinivas' point of view. Number one, Data mesh advice to former self, number one. Ambiguity is inevitable. Don't be afraid of ambiguity. It's often better than binary thinking, but also be as clear as possible on responsibilities, even if the target outcome or other aspects are ambiguous. Clear responsibilities at least will drive things forward. You know, number two, data mesh advice to former self, number two. Involve product management way earlier. Every product owner needs to understand product ownership, prioritization, and what is the value to the business, and then communicate the value of the work to the business. If that value is not clear, why are you doing the work? You know, product management really helps in that communication and that prioritization. Number three, data mesh advice to former self. Number three. Create a small team, maybe five to six people, focused on enabling new domains to learn how to own their own data and create data products. You know, Scott, note here, uh, see episode number 48 with Scott Hawkins for how ITV is implementing using this pattern. So number four, prioritization and communication around prioritization is probably one of your most useful tools in data mesh. If you're good at that, 
teams will often buy in more quickly. Data producers see changing priorities, uh, not more work, right? If you go in and you rearrange their priorities to actually do this work instead of just piling on more work, that's going to change things, right? Consumers can have a clear understanding of what work is is done when and why instead of a silence or, or a link to a Confluence or a Jira page, right? So this was something uh, Radha Rishani had talked about as well. Number five, good data mesh product management isn't only focused at the data product level or the platform. You need to look at the bigger picture of how everything fits together to drive even more value. Make sure you have thought coverage of kind of that mesh level from product management. Number six, make sure everyone is aligned on how data engineering work supports business value and the organization's goals. The exec team should understand it, of course, but don't skimp on informing the data engineers too. If they know more, it can help with better prioritization. If they know what value they're actually supposed to be delivering on, it helps with prioritization. Number seven, data ownership and buy-in on that ownership is crucial and can have immense value. You can drive that buy-in by showing people the consequences of centralized data ownership creating bottlenecks. You know, what more value could have been created if things weren't stuck in that, again, that Jira log jam, if things weren't stuck in that bottleneck. Number eight, to communicate the cost of data issues, it's very hard to try to put dollar amounts on them, but you can show people the business impact and they can start to calculate it themselves. You know, kind of this report takes five people three days to clean up at the end of the quarter. That has a big impact on business people who can calculate costs far better than the data team. Number nine, partner with teams to assess and document wins with data. You might not get to exact numbers, but you can show value with a little bit of partnering. Then share those wins and attract others that want some of that data-enabled value creation. (laughs) Number 10, Look to business partners for setting prioritization around data work. See if you can get them to seek the budget to do the work with you. What are the company's priorities and where should you be investing to support those priorities? How does data work play into that? Number 11, set yourself up to learn and iterate when it comes to architecture. Prepare yourself to fail and fail fast. It's way too hard to get everything right up front. You'll expend too much energy. Embrace that and and get moving and really think about how you're going to iterate. Number 12, engineering teams need to be part of key business decisions, not necessarily as a decision maker or the decision maker, but engineering finding out about changes once systems break, that, that is a pattern that has to change. If you want to be data-informed, you know, data-driven, you have to consider the impact to data as part of, you know, what is that of the your product decisions and your changes? What is the impact to data? And yes, I know as the data people, you can't always influence that. <laughs> would, would that you could, right? Number 13, you should make sure you support new data owners with technology and capability building. You need to make them capable of owning data, not just give them the responsibility. And that won't be free. Number 14, 
in data mesh, seek out teams that will give you blunt and honest feedback and are willing to work with you to improve your data mesh implementation. You want people who will push you to do better and, and share in the pain and the success. Number 15, focus on communicating what data mesh changes for your organization, what value it unleashes. Really talk with your central data team and explain what it means for them and that it's not a threat to their jobs. They get to focus on cooler things rather than just building pipelines. Number 16, finally, potentially controversial one, don't look to rebuild your entire tech stack to do something like data mesh. See how far you can get with a lot of what you have already. Why this is kind of controversial, you know, Scott out here is that there are um, a lot of people that are saying, you know, go for Greenfield and then uh, not try and migrate everything over, but that, you know, look to new use cases. Carlos Sauna talked about this a lot on his episode, which was 150. So there's some different prevailing thoughts here. I don't really have uh, any skin in the game as to whether you should try and get going with what you're doing or that you should uh, try to create a new greenfield platform. And Shriva sent me a little bit more color on what he was thinking on this. So he said, this is very subjective on the state of the maturity and cost of change. What I would suggest is to leverage existing tech stack if possible. Basically evaluate your tech stack as if you would do an external solution and come up with a plan on what you can leverage and what new capabilities you need to build or get externally. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Srinivas Paluri here, who's the CTO of RentBase um, and had worked on a uh, data mesh implementation at Zillow and has, has a long history there. We'll get into that in, in a bit. Um, and we're going to be talking about you know a couple of different things, but one of the big ones is how much people focus way too much on the architecture relative to data mesh and how... Architecture is obviously important, but how do we actually fit that in? How do we gradually move towards data mesh instead of kind of boom, uh, a one or a zero and, and in a lot of different aspects? And then how can we actually show domain teams the value of participating in data mesh, right? How can we give them more value than the effort that they're actually putting into this so that we can actually encourage them. And we'll we'll go into a lot of those different things because those are two very, very big <laughs> meaty topics. But before we get to that, uh, Srinivas, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself and then we can get into the conversation at hand. Oh, thank you, Scott. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. I'm really excited here to talk about uh, the data mesh. Um, so I, I started uh, my career at Microsoft um, then I worked in Microsoft for six years uh, as a software test manager. Then I moved to Zillow. Most of my time I spent in Zillow. So it was ima imagine like 16 years of my time I spent in Zillow, where I did uh, product management, engineering, 
and uh, data engineering. Uh, so last like five years, uh, I was working at at Zillow, creating a, a world class data engineering team, uh, in, in creating the data engineering organization from scratch, and uh, and also it's like you know creating a great uh, data engineering leaders uh, within uh, within Zillow. Uh, so the, recently, I moved. I, I made a move. Uh, I, I I wanted to take a a, a different approach um, and uh, take a risk here, and 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 I wanted to actually experience the end to end development product and everything. So I took a, a CTO role in in Rentbase, um, uh, where like you know we empower agents to um, look at the the rental leads, uh, track their rental leads, and also how those rental leads become a transaction or like you know becomes a sales. Um, so that's where I am focusing on. So my focus will be is like you know, it's including data, product, and everything. Uh, apart from work, I do I do like like to spend my time with my kids, going out, uh, going out to beach, and uh, and also I do I do meditate. And you can ask me any questions at the meditation uh, at, the, at the end if you have time. Um, so those are the two two things that I like to do. So that's that's all about me. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, meditation and that kind of mindfulness and that taking your time and things like that is something that's super crucial in data mesh because so many people try to jump too, too, too far. So, um, so let's start with that kind of the focus on governance. And, and I, I think Rebecca Parsons at ThoughtWorks said something recently on a podcast that was really interesting of people want to make progress on the platform. They want to make progress on the architecture because it's more tangible. And so, like, how how did you work internally when you were talking to people to not focus as much on that or to kind of focus on that in tandem? Like, how how did you focus on communicating the vision with, you know, you're a, you've been in the technology side for so long. How did you focus on communication, you know, of that without relying too much on f- focusing on the tech and the architecture? I, I think uh, the architecture is important, right? Like, you know, the software, software architecture is important and it's very hard, right? So, I mean, I think that the problem is we try to get all the answers before. I think that's that's becomes like really hard, right? Like, if you try to get all the answers before we try to create something, it, it, it creates an, it, it's, it's, a, it's a knowledge um, that you need uh, in order to make the decision. It's a lot, right? So, I, I do think that... Architecture is important, uh, more like, you know, on the technology side, like, you know, there is a lot of tools outside that are available. Even when we did uh, try to do the data mesh architecture at Zillow, there are a lot of foundational pieces that are available within Zillow that we built. And then there are foundational pieces, the tech foundational pieces that we have available that we bought it from the vendors, right? So, um, so using that, we can actually bootstrap what... Um, uh, what what I call is like you know um, um, there are two things that I think the data mesh is like and again I'm not an expert in like you know um, everything in the in the data mesh I know it's like I'm learning like everybody else so I think there are two important things that I believe in which is like you know the data ownership uh, who owns the data it's like you know if you are producing the data or do you own the data uh, are you responsible for producing the high quality data that is the second part like you know so those are the two things that that. I, I think it's it's crucial, uh, along with other things that are already exist within your ecosystem. I mean, you just don't like you know you just don't need to go and build an entire tech stack, right? Like you know, right now, you go outside. There are so many technology solutions that are available 
you might be able to piece them together and then make something happen, right? So, so it's basically like, you know, how do you fail faster, right? Like, how do you move faster? Um, if, if you try to wait for everything needs to be collected and then create this uh, a beautiful world, um, I, I, th- I think it takes too long. So, so, so you just need to make a decision on how much information that you have, how much of the tech that you will be able to leverage that we have, and how much of the tech that you'll be able to buy um, and then leverage the existing architecture and focus more on like, you know, how do you move the more ownership? How do you get the high quality data? Yeah. One, one thing you said in there that I'd like to kind of dig into a little bit more of, of trying to get all the information up front, trying to be fully right, because the cost of getting anything wrong in data has been, you know, because our lead cycles, we have these super, super long lead cycles historically to going from request to production for a lot of large companies. You know, I, I love it when startups are like, what are you talking about? You know, it, 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 if it takes more than three days, it's crazy. And it's like, yes, because you're at a small company and you have that tighter feedback cycle. So data mesh isn't really the thing that's trying to address that for you. But um, that, how did you find working with people to get over that hump? Like, that's one thing where so many people are not as willing because, you know, it, They've been burned historically in data. If you don't get something right up front, you're not in constant contact. You're not having that fail fast. You're not having that like tight feedback loops where you go, hey, and and that like failure is a one or a zero instead of this didn't work. Like, let's what what did we learn from this? Let's iterate off it. And or, or you know, this didn't work exactly how we wanted it to. Let's let's get to uh, something that's better and better and better. Like, how did you? go about encouraging that within your, your team, especially, you know, it's, it's, you said you kind of came from the testing side and things like that. When you think about, um, the actual data side, a lot of people who've only been in data, they're terrified of failure because, you know, you spend a year on this huge project and it would fail like 60, 70% of the time because it just wasn't good because there wasn't this, this way of failing fast and iterating and tight feedback loop. So how did you help people get over that? Or, or did you find it was easy to, and people just had to get the freedom? I think it depends on the size of the company, right? Like, you know, I mean, I can probably have some leverage, uh, uh, to talk about it because I worked in Zillow for like you know 16 years, where I have seen from a company grow from 80 people to like almost like thousands of people, right? So I may mean, have a small story that I'll tell you, right? Like you know, at the beginning Zillow, we were evolving really, we were moving really fast. Um, so also our business model is moving really fast. So at the time, the data engineering was like in a small group of five, five, six people. Who takes the data from from the producers, like you know, who's produ- producing the data, and create uh, the business logic, and then make sense of the data, right? Like and we were really moving fast, but the, since the business is evolving so fast, like you know, one day they decided, okay, we are going to change our business model from share of uh, voice uh, to um, like you know the number of contacts, like you know that uh, they they contact, right? Like in you know, a cost per contact space, right? Like you know. So now nobody told us, nobody told us like, you know, that that business model changed. Then the data engineering team um, is, is found out after we released the data. And then like, you know, we completely broke the report, right? Like there is no reporting on how the business is doing, right? So now they understand the real impact. Again, it's, it's, it's not the way that I would recommend anybody to go and like, you know, do that. 
but i think it's it's, it's a lesson that we learned right i think oh data engineering team needs to be part of making these decisions right i think that's evolution point where we said okay any data changes that they make any product changes that we make how do we incorporate data engineering and analytics as part of those conversations um um i i think i would say like you know i know i'm trying to answer like in your question and in in a, in a story but i think the, uh, what i'm what i'm trying to say here is i think it's it's the learnings that we have and also the size of the company and like you know where you are at right like at a company which is like you know like 50 people i can't just have a, a huge process that establishes who does what how the ownership is going to be you need to be flexible on on getting the data and like you know making some shortcuts if you need to do it uh, but but the question is is like you know do you understand what's the shortcuts that you're making and then when when it comes to scaling the the business it's like similar to when you're scaling the architecture when it comes to scaling the business scaling the company do you know exactly what you need to do to move from uh, a to b so that is like you know from uh, centralized data engineering organizations to decentralized data engineering organization um so um there is no one um one um story that like you know uh, one solution that fits everybody right like and everybody needs to make the decision based on the data points that they have available And then the second question you asked, like, you know, how how do you like you know, convince? I think that is very difficult, right? I mean, I wouldn't say it's like you know, it was easy. It was super difficult for me to communicate what is the value of uh, data ownership. I could go back and then I showed them like you know, a lot of examples on like you know how um, the data, um, uh, the engineering team uh, become a a bottleneck or like you know how a data become afterthought, right, of, of the product because of that. Like you know, what was the impact? But those are the past examples, right? Um, the one of the problems that I had was like, you know, how do I quantify? Because like, you know, these are the, all the business people, right? They wanted to see, okay, what is the value of the a data issue, right? Like, I'll say, oh, we are seeing this many data issues. Okay, well, how does it affect the business? Um, it's mostly like some either it's in productivity or in in finances or like you know in terms of resources or money, right? So how do how do how can we quantify the value of what we are proposing if i'm saying that the ownership is an important and everybody who produces the data needs to own that data it needs to be part of the ownership okay what does it do right like and how does it actually improve the productivity of the company or productivity of the the data engineering organization how does it actually enables company to make the decision faster i think so that's where like you know i was i struggled a little bit at the beginning but that was my lesson and and then uh, where i was able to actually go back and then show the value of uh, the data uh, in in terms of what uh, what these executives or like you know the other teams that, that are looking yeah and so when you're talking about that of i mean kind of when you're going into a domain and you're saying hey we want you to to take ownership how do you kind of work with them so that they're actually capable of taking that ownership right because if you shift the ownership and just go hey exactly what happened right where you went um hey yesterday this was our business model today this is this is our new business model right yesterday you didn't own the data today you now own the data right that that doesn't work so like how did you build these teams up or or were you focusing on only starting with um you know low effort or low um capability need use cases or 
Like, how did you deal with that? Because people are really, really stuck on getting buy-in and then actually shifting that ownership. Like, how did that, do you have like some stories around how that worked? Yeah, I I would say it's like, you know, the the data, um, it's easy to say, right? It's like, oh, you should own the data, right? You know, I mean, it's just, it's just like a one sentence that we can say to anybody. Um, but I think there are three things that I would say. It's like, you know, uh, what's the data ownership and how we could change that, right? So, so the number one is, if I'm asking somebody to do something, right, like that they are never did, how do they do it? Like, you know, they need to, we need to provide them some kind of tools, right, or, uh, or a software or like, you know, technologies that is available for them to do these things easily, right? So it's definitely one, right? So that will make them feel better, right? That's like, okay, now I know, okay, how I can do this thing. Um, and the second one is, um, what does it mean to own a data, <laughs> right? So it's a very vague term. Like, you know, say, okay, um, I, I think I had a, a conversation uh, on the data mesh uh, TV about like, you know, what is the, data, the, the run book, right? So it's like, which I talked about, right? So what's the... Owning a data, that means that uh, you need to understand uh, what is the, the schema of the data is, um, the data model that you're producing the data, how it's producing the data, and any um, changes that you need to make to the data that you need to support that one, right? So, and the data breaks, and then you need to go and fix that data, right? Uh, you need to ensure the quality of that data, right? I mean, there, there comes a lot of those things uh, with the ownership of the data. It's not free. I think you just need to talk to them about that. Okay, I know it's not free, but this is the value. But this is how we will be providing you the tools so that, like you know, you can you can support this thing. And and like you know, I mean, these are all our fellow developers. I mean, I would say they are very smart people. They if they understand the value of what we are trying to do, and they understand that we are trying to make it easy. I think they will like you know they 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 will have a success listening like you know them listening to us. And then the finally, I would say, is the change needs to be gradual, right? So, I mean, anything, right? Like, you know, I mean, I, I was like, you know, uh, I was talking about like, you know, okay, it's like, you know, if you want to lose weight, oh, I can't just stop eating for a week and then you're done with it, right? You don't lose the weight. It doesn't work that way. You need to work hard, right? So you need to, you need to have a commitment and then you need to take it slow, right? So, and, and you need to have a plan about that. Like, you know, what is it? What is it you're going to do? How you're doing that one? So, so one of the things that uh, we did um, uh, during the data mesh implementation, I mean, again, we didn't call actually data mesh implementation initially. It, it, we started Zillow. So we gave, we gave a different code name. Um, again, it's for internal purposes. So we took a, a team uh, that is interested in piloting with us. Right? So, so that, that team is already more advanced, uh, uh, in, in data engineering operations, like you know, they know more uh, about the data engineering than any other teams uh, within Zillow. So we we piloted with them, and then we found out a couple of we identified a couple of projects that they could do that they could actually produce the data from end to end and also own the data. And while we have some tools that are available, we're also actually working with them, right? Like you know, then they gave a, a tremendous feedback. This like okay. Oh, this process sucks. I mean, literally somebody said, okay, this process sucks. How could you even actually do this thing, right? Like, you know, so basically we were able to identify the opportunities for us to improve the process, improve the tooling. And, and also it's like, you know, being more clear on like, you know, what do, what do we mean by like uh, owning a data? 
a lot of people were confused like you know with this person i remember like you know it's like okay she knows what, what do you mean by data so i give you the data that's it right i'm done with it right it's like uh no 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 but if something goes wrong with the data you got to go and take care of that one right if somebody asks you to uh, make changes to the data or add new features or new data elements you need to go and like an update it so that piece was completely missing um so I was able to like you know, get that feedback from that pilot team and and, and incorporate incorporating both process and platform yeah and that so uh, lots of different ways that we could go off of that but i think um when you were talking about this pilot team how did you work with them like i've had some people tell me um if ownership isn't clear immediately you know hardline clear then this can never work and things like that. And to me, I think that just, it doesn't fit. It's like co-ownership. You kind of just have to go, hey, we're in a messy spot for a while while we're training teams up to do this. What what was like the thing that that really, that helped you the most or that if, if you could go back and say, hey, I'm going to save you a whole lot of heartache or a whole lot of this, like what was the thing in in getting those teams too capable, whether that was in handing over the ownership, in in up leveling them, in providing them things from the platform perspective, in, in whatever? Is there any one thing or any couple of things where you would say, you know, I wish somebody had told me, I wish somebody had said these three sentences to me, and if I could go back and and uh, in time and tell myself this three years ago, I would be so much uh, happier because it would have prevented so much chaos for me or so much strife. I mean, I can think of one, right? So, I mean, um, so I think it's, it's, I I understand like, you know, I do work with a a lot of ambiguity, right? So, but people don't, don't do that. I can probably, I'm kind of fortunate to work with a lot of ambiguity and actually that causes problem too, right? Because I also give ambiguous, uh, tasks uh, to the team sometimes and they are like oh what is this like it's not clear right so um um i i, I, I agree with uh, with you on that like you know when we go into any pilot or any program that like you know we need to have a clear uh, line of sight on like you know okay what are you doing versus what is the other team doing right like you know, we can kind of i think we created like you know some kind of a race here on like you know who does what uh, within uh, the data engineering organization and then the product team um and uh, that's one uh, and then the second one is like you know this is my learning uh, i learned from hard hard way which is i didn't have a product management uh, involved from the from the day one right so uh, which was i would say it's like you know, if i look it back and say it was very critical if you ask me what would i do i'd say i'm gonna go and talk talk to the product management i need to have a, a real a product owner for <laughs> this data to understand what we are trying to do, how we are doing, and what is the value to the business, um, and and also the prioritization, right? Like you know, it's like you know. So right now, like if if, if the company has like you know ten different uh, groups, and then they they are doing like you know another x number of uh, data projects, then then you have hundreds of projects that you need to go and prioritize why uh, it is an important thing and uh, uh, what is the value that is adding to the business. Having some kind of product management function supporting you uh, on prioritization and communication, uh, communicating the value, uh, I, I think it's, it's super important. And the, the third thing I would say is, uh, which is we kind of done, but I, I would thinking of it right now, like you know, what I've done a different, little differently. Um, so I have a data engineering organization, right? So I have 
uh, analytical data engineering teams and then like which produces the the data actually those are the 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 data the producing teams and also produces the data sets for analytical use cases basically that team is doing everything right so that team is doing they're getting the data from the producers and, and creating the the data products and also creating the data products for analytics um, um, so when we did a pilot so that team was very helpful right so um, so we are using a couple of uh, data engineers within within that organization to help the pilot team and be part of that pilot group and actually like you know helping them um up leveling their skills and uh, showing them w- what they need to do okay so but i what my learning is not that right i mean that's actually because of that when i started implementing the 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 project afterwards um thinking about that i think i should have created a different function that that actually just a supporting role right it's just like you know there are like you know five or six people i don't know how excited they will be their role is actually being part of the the data producing teams to actually help them up leveling them uh, help them implementing the data products help them uh, understanding what's the uh, uh, the data ownership and data quality means and help them onboarding to the platforms and the toolings that we are doing right um, so we are doing that as part of like you know the overall group but if i think of that right now i would say i would create a dedicated group especially given the size of the, the zillow them uh, focusing on, on on that function Yeah that's that's a a pattern um you know I've talked with about how people create their data products who is the data product developer and in a lot of cases what teams are doing or what companies are doing is dropping in kind of the consultant in a box the consultancy in a box type of thing where you drop it into each domain and they they up level and you go and you have conversations with the domain about what is your current capabilities what are your needs like what are the needs relative to this use case we're going to up level you while we're helping you develop your data product so we're going to help to make this something that is far better than you could do right now but we're going to make it so that you're capable of owning it and that the next time this comes through you're as you're capable of doing this and yes you're probably not going to get it perfect at up front but that's actually better because then you're going to learn how to actually develop this instead of us giving you the blueprint and and you know you you know it's um kind of the paint by numbers or whatever we're going to give you the um the exact template and you're going to just color in this circle and this you know whatever and this you're not learning how to to make art really you're learning how to exactly follow instructions instead of how oh i screwed up here how do i do this you know like a bob ross the happy painter thing you know like oh, oh we, yeah. we, we don't that. make accidents we just make happy little you know whatever or we don't make mistakes they're just happy little accidents and so it sounds like that's that's a, a a useful pattern it's it works in some companies it doesn't in others there's some that where they're starting out by saying hey domains you need to start owning your data but what that means is just this very very low complication task right where we're just going to give you this very low complexity thing to own and it might be you know not thinking data mesh terms but like it might be owning the the actual schema of the pipeline and we'll you know the central team will manage the actual pipeline but you manage the schema and you manage what comes out from a contract standpoint from the schema standpoint and that's it 
right? You don't have to manage anything else. And we're going to give you that. And then we're going to give you slightly more and more responsibilities as we build you up and and teach you. But uh, this idea that, you know, that there's a pre-data mesh day and a a post-data mesh day as to when we started and when we start, you know, uh, before the before times and then day one, day one is so different. It's like, no, it's, it's just, we're learning how to do this. We're learning how to iterate together. Um, so I, I like how, how did you work with your data team or your data people to get them comfortable with this? Because this has been something that a lot of data people push back on because they're like, one, you know, a lot of people just don't trust the domains to ever own the data and all this stuff. You know, how could they ever own this? And it's like, yeah, we have to give them the abstractions to just make the correct decisions instead of the things. And that's a platform team and blah, blah, blah. But like, like we said earlier of in data, if anything has been wrong, it's completely tanked the entire project. So like, we're not in that mode. We're in the mode of, Hey, we learned. Okay. Let's change. Hey, we learned. Let's, let's change. How, how did you communicate that to your your data team, to your data engineering folks? Were they afraid of this? Were they excited? Like uh. <laughs> what 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 ended up kind of coming through from this? And how did you get them to a place where they were like, yay, this this works well? Yeah, I mean, I remember like, I mean, it's like a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, right? So I uh when we started talking about the data mesh, I was really careful on the language that we use, right? So I mean that questions directly popped up, right? Like, you know, um, uh, what am I going to do, Srinivas, if, if everybody is going to all their data, right? It's like, you know, uh, what are we going to do, right? Like, you know, um, uh, it's just like, are we going to lose our jobs? Right? I mean, so basically, those, that's one of the questions that they, they, they had. Um, so definitely. So I think it's, uh, um, that was one of my uh, learnings, which is like, you know, I haven't communicated very well on what the data mesh unleashes the data to the data engineering organization, right? So it's not like, you know, ownership change for sake uh, to the, the product uh, organizations and data quality improvements and uh, uh, not having um, uh, data engineers actually like, you know, focusing on these, um, somebody's, I would say, uh, let me use the right word. Somebody's uh, dirt, right? <laughs> like you know, <laughs> to go and clean it up, right? I mean, that's, we don't need to do that, right? So we we actually need to like do something. So, so I think the one one of the things is like you know being very clear on like you know okay, what is the data engineering organization's focus is going to be? Okay. Um, so if you ask me, it's all going to be depending on on the organization and how fast they evolve, right? So it can't be exactly the same, right? For myself, it's it's more like you know focusing on analytics machine learning, data preparation use cases, right? So that's that's where our, our, our focus are. So basically I asked them the question, right? They asked me a question, then I I took the feedback and then uh, we I tried to clarify the vision. So then I asked the question, so tell me about your backlog. Um, how many people we need in order to complete that backlog? Uh, how, how long does it take in order for us to achieve, achieve that backlog? Our backlogs are like, you know, three years, right? You know, we have backlogs that takes to three years, right? So uh, then I was asking them like, you know, okay, there are so many things that we could be doing for analytics, uh, producing these uh, data sets that are for analytics. And then there are so many things that will be actually uh, working with the machine learning teams to producing the data products for them, right? Like, you know, which 
we were not even actually able to do that because most of our time is focused on the upstream data and then trying to fix their quality issues. So I was like, imagine if we don't have to do that. So so think about the, the more stuff that we could do and then the, how fast that business could, could, could move, right? So that's, that's one. Uh, and, and, and two, um, so they'll be spending time to understanding the business better, right? Like you know, now we are actually helping an, analytics uh, to understand what do they need, right? So how do we solve the problem of like you know, joining the customer data with, uh, uh, with the third-party data, right? I mean, that's, that's what we need to do. I think we'll be focusing on that. That's most interesting, more interesting problems than fixing somebody else's data, right? I mean, definitely, I think that we convince them. Um, and then we'll be uh, creating a, a better tools and technologies, whether we are internally building or like, you know, uh, getting the third-party tools or integrating with this one. Um, so then you'll be actually exposed to a, a better technologies, like they'll be learning, uh, uh, solving a, a even tougher problems, right? Uh, it's just like when, when you talk to engineers and then you show them, like they're learning, they are solving the hard problems, uh, and then they get really excited. So, but I think it's, it's, it's not that easy, as I say, it's, it's, it's requires like a you know, very clear communication, clear communication of the vision um, and, and showing them the path and, and how it could change the organization uh, would be very helpful. Yeah, I think that um, one thing that, well, I, I'd actually like to go back to something that you said earlier now that I started to think about it, which was the um, where you were talking about the really, really, uh, kind of brutal feedback and that I feel like when it's brutal, but specific feedback engineers mm-hmm. are actually happy about that because it's like, I have something that I can, I can focus on and that it's not just the data quality is bad versus like, you're asking us to do X and I can't do it with this thing. Cause you're exposing me like where I have to write, you know, this complicated spark, you know, job itself, instead of just tell me this is, I want to transform this to look like this. And I just want to, to deal with that, that user interface. Like how, how did you kind of train them to actually have that communication back and forth? Because historically the, we haven't had good communication, good language understanding between the business side, whether that's the producers or the consumers and the data team, the data team has gone to, you know, the producers go to the data or the consumers go to the data team. They say, data team, I need this. Then the data team tries to go and work with the the producers and produce it, but they don't really understand the this and the, the consumers didn't really understand exactly what they wanted. And then it got miscommunicated up to the producer. So like you're now even having tighter communication, but it's hopefully more fruitful. Like how did you work with them to get to a more fruitful conversation So that you could say, like, I want you to be brutal about this because we are building this thing to make your life easier. Because if all we're doing is asking you for just adding more work and we're not having that prioritization, we're not like helping you to actually do this, then it's just more work on your plate. So like, how, how did that work from both sides? Like where you're talking to the data producers and your data team as to how to, how did that communication actually Evolve to good. Yeah, I think there's a lot of questions here, right? Like you know, <laughs> right? So, um, um, I, I think nobody is, is. I mean, like you know, producers are not, not not going to be happy that like you know they'll be getting a lot more work, right? I mean, they'll be thinking that like oh, I got to do additional work that we need to be doing here, right? 
um, and then the consumers are not happy is, is like you know the data the data engineering team is ha- is not happy is because like you know they are treated as this, um, as a second class citizen where like you know they they get to, they get to know when they need something from them and then like you know not involving in them right so um, uh, um, and then the business team is frustrated because they're not getting what what they what they need, right? So I mean, if you see a, a common problem, right? So uh, where nobody's like you know, not all of them talking uh, to each other at the same time, right? Like you know, they only talk when they need something to each other, right? So um, I think having a a a product management function that's like initially I talked about, like you know, a product management function is very critical. I think uh, again, as as an engineering uh, engineer i mean i like to communicate right but i, th- I think it's just if i need to communicate with uh, why you need to do it what is the importance to the business um and what is the priority of this one doing this thing and like how should you include that engineering and analytics uh from the beginning right i mean all these conversations needs to happen at the at the high level right so we just like you know it's uh, like the product management level where product management function needs to provide that clarity on okay what is the prioritization of the features that we need okay i would say any feature that we develop needs to have what are you measuring like you know what are you trying to measure here right i think we once we started asking that question then they they're going to ask us like okay oh so maybe i don't know this one like i need to go and talk to analytics and then trying to get help then analytics are like okay oh you need like you know we need this kind of data and then like you know we get the data engineering organization to come and help us it's like you know what is the data that we need uh, to measure this thing and uh, to compute uh, what what we are trying to measure and how we use to um, uh, to uh, to understand our feature right i think having those conversations um could should start from the product product prioritization product planning having a dedicated product management within the data engineering and analytics organization helping that prioritization communication uh, bringing people together um is very critical right i think it's like you know initially at the beginning of uh, data mesh architecture i think uh, we didn't have much pms i believe we have one pm or something um, but when i when i left silo i think it's like you know we have entered product uh, management team that's just helping on doing exactly that what what, what you said um uh, which is uh, which is a critical role i think um uh, critical role that helps the data engineering organization and the product organizations and the analytics organization to come together uh, and 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 produce those high quality data sets well, yeah, I think you need product management for the platform, right? So you need to treat your platform like a product. And then you need the product owners, which are behaving like product managers for the data products themselves. And what you're talking about is almost that there is someone whose job is to understand friction and then address it. And not necessarily fix it, not necessarily, but it's like, it is that prioritization of, okay, this is a friction point. Like we need to be clear. We need to make this thing that everybody is feeling, but isn't explicit. Let's put it down on paper. Let's talk about how we're going to tackle it. And let's move, let's move on that, right? Like that seems to be that moving the implicit and moving the, the pain that people are feeling and actually putting words to it, putting it on paper it, it just changes our our view of this stuff because people feel seen and heard. And so like if if somebody's struggling on that side, 
maybe to even get product management into this that, you know, they're, they're doing, they're trying to move forward with data mesh, but they don't have enough budget. Like, how do you think about handling that? Do you think it does just, you need somebody that that is their main focus and that you shouldn't be moving forward if you don't have it? Is that what would you would recommend or? Yeah, I mean, before you, like, you know, I think you mentioned, like, you know, I mean, kind of like, you know, all, all, all the product owners becomes the, the product managers for their data products. I mean, think of this thing, right? Like, you know, you go to this orchestra, like, you know, where, like, you know, all these musicians are playing. Uh, I might not have the right words, so correct me if I'm wrong. There is one person, right? I think it's called conductor, right? Like, he just, like, you know, he, he, it looks like he doesn't, he's not doing anything. I mean, imagine if he's not there, right? Like, you know, you think all these data products will be synchronously, like, you know, producing the music that, that we need? No, right? So I, I, I'm asking, like, the product management, like, you know, we have a product management management to support that how we can orchestrate all these things together so that like you know we're producing as a team that talks to each other right so so that's that's uh, i think that's the, the that's the analogy that like i'll i lose there um so to the budget i would say it's like you know i mean i i i, I give my, my budget like you know uh, scott right like you know, i would rather have uh, at some point like a you know, product manager to orchestrate that Create a uh, uh, create a clarity within my team and in the data engineering organization, rather than like you know not a product manager at all, right? Like in in, in the past, like I worked with product managers, um, product manager leaders. I I gave them a couple of my open heads and then like you no, know, let them get the 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 product managers that we need. So it's all it's all comes to the priority, right? Like you know, where do we need the people most, right? So uh, if we are producing a lot of software. But uh, there is nobody to use them, or like you know, there is they don't know how to use them because we don't have a function that helping them and uh, use it, or they're incorrectly using them. It's not going to produce the results that we need. So as the leaders, right? So we need to prioritize where we want to put our resources and move the resources. Um, and then again, you you said that like you know we gotta do things iteratively. Uh, we gotta do a gradual change. So in order to do that. So we need to move as a team, right? Like, you know, so we need to balance our resources across the different uh, different groups, different organizations. Well, and one thing that you've been talking about is prioritization and then talking about value. And like what, like, this is something that comes up a lot. And I've got I've got strong thoughts on on how we think about value and that like the data team itself can't be the one that prescribes the value that says like, this is of value, but they also need to be talking to people and saying, why is this a value? You're asking us to do this. Like, what is the point? And that it's not pushing back. It's not in a negative way, but like, help us understand, you know, Ella Hale talked about this in, in her episode where she said, what would having this unlock for you, right? Like you get them to open exactly. up, you get them to, to tell you, but then, and, and that you can ask people about, okay, what would be the value of this? If it, if it said X or if it said Y and what's the value if, if it says, you know, uh, uh, Pink Shoe mentioned that, you know, what about thinking about going into a new market and you go and you, you spend a bunch of time and money investigating going into this new market because you think there's going to be something there and the answers come back, don't, right? You think, well, that was a big waste of money. It's like, no, it wasn't because you would have done that. You would have gone into this market and wasted all this time. So like, but how do you think about communicating that? Like the the concept of ROI keeps coming up 
and people are thinking it's it's a dollar amount. It's an exact figure versus like, okay, I'm going to do this work that's going to enable you. You tell me what this work would would uh, better enable, and then we'll measure the value after it after the fact. And if it wasn't what we expected, then we figure out why. But it's not like a blame game. It's not like you said this was going to be worth ten million dollars, and it was only worth eight million. Like why? But like. How did you start to work on creating a framework or creating that thinking and that communication? Because people are really struggling right now, especially in a downturn, about communicating to finance. What's the value of the data work? Welcome to my world, right? Which <laughs> I struggled, like you know, to do that. Like you know, um, I, th- I think going back to like you know, what you what you said is like you know, I think seeing is believing, right? And then we can say what it could do. Um, uh, and what it could be, or like, you know, what possible things that it could uh, uh, the data teams can produce, and seeing is believing. So that means so we need to document uh, the wins and uh, um, uh, the the value that like you know that uh, uh, the data engineering team. And it's not just the data engineering team; probably the data engineering team in conjunction with analytics teams that are producing right to the business. Uh, I think we need to have some kind of quantification method here, like, you know, uh, Scott, right? I know I, it, it, at the end it all comes to money, right? Like, you know, I was, uh, I was taking, like, you know, you know a decision-making class in Stanford, right? Like, you know, we talked about it. Um, how do you make decisions? So you come up with the different dimensions and then we assign some monetary value to that. So I think it's all about, like, you know, you getting that skill on how do you assign the monetary value? Like the example that you gave, if we investigated that we need to go into this market and then that seems to be not viable, I think we need to be showing them, like, you know, imagine, like, if we would have done without this analysis, so what is the, the dollar amount loss that we would have made, right? Like, you know, that, that needs to be realistic. Um, having a partner in um, finance team would be very helpful. Like, you know, the... Um, I, I, I believe, like, you know, my partner in uh, finance team is, he's amazing, right? Like, you know, it's, they, they like working with me and I like working with them. I go and talk to them. Okay, uh, I'm thinking about, like, you know, quantifying my value of my team or, or uh, output of my team like this. One. What do you think? Uh, they gave me a great feedback on, like, you know, um, why basically they were challenging my assumptions and, why am I making that assumption? Or even actually they are, uh, they gave me some other assumptions that I haven't made, which I could be using them. Like, you know, having a partner in the finance team um, would be very helpful to quantify um, uh, the value of the data team. Even like, you know, like, you know, as as reading Chad um, uh, blog, like, and I asked him like, you know, how do you value um, the value of the, the data bugs, right? <laughs> like when we get like, you know, a bug, it's just basically cost us business, right? So, so we could actually leverage the past uh, um, data, like, you know, looking at the bugs, um, what uh, the uh, uh, the business impact that they had and, and make some assumptions and work with the finance team and, and make sure that, like, you know, they, um, they agree with those assumptions. Um, and then you can use those uh, to create some kind of a monetary value, like, you know, what it could be. Again, it's not a, it's not, it's not a perfect, perfect thing, like, uh, the point I'm trying to make is like, you know, if you just keep talking and talking, then the, the essence will be lost in in the conversation, right? So we need to come back and then be showing showing some kind of 
tangible things, right? Either it's it's a numbers or it, it's it's uh, deliverables or something like that. Well, and I think one thing that I would hit, I mean, I, you know, I was uh, the embedded FP&A person in um, a, a product org myself. And essentially, I was, you know, managing our, our AWS spend and our FP&A team, you know, on the finance side loved me because I was always communicating to them and saying, here is how I'm thinking about X. Here is how I'm thinking about why here is this and it, i was proactively going to them and saying mm-hmm. what here like this thing has changed or hey you know how we were talking about this thing that was going to be a, a 10% uptick in spend but like i told you previously it was going to launch at the you know mid this month it got pushed out 2 weeks so that's going to mean that this month comes in below expectations, but the growth for next month is going to be considerably above previous expectations. So like basically just shift, you know, shift out the dollars that you have out of this month for that, that bit, but just keep it level for the next month and that you're going to see this big ups, upswing next month, but it's not, okay, you were expecting it to go up 10% this month and 5% the next month. And now it goes up. this month and and 15% the next month. And they're like, what the heck? Like I thought, you know, and, and just making those, those like extracting from them, what would be helpful information. This is, this is part of, I think, treating your communication like a product, trying to, to do that. And I think this is what we need to teach data producers to go and have the conversations with data consumers and with the data people, we need to retrain them to go and go, why are you doing this? Like, what's the value? Like enumerate this thing for me, communicate it so we can get it into something that we can then measure against. And if it doesn't have the value we thought it it should, that's not the end of the world. That's not necessarily bad. We just learned. That's a great thing I would say, because you can just like stop doing that, right? I mean, isn't that awesome? <laughs> and, and the faster you can get to that go, no go decision, right? The faster you can get to a, um, that's that fail fast of, hey, we shouldn't be doing this. We started to, to investigate this and it's not of value. Let's move on, right? Like let's focus on something that's higher value or there is something here and it's way worse than we expected. So we actually need to spend more time to investigate this because we thought that this would be pretty good and it's come in like not just as as bad, but like horrible. There is something here. There's something that we can learn really, really incremental to our business. Yes, we don't want to do this, but where else are we doing this? Or where else is this thing like hidden and applicable in, in a lot of what else we're doing? And, and those types of learnings, they're just not obvious for a lot of folks. So I think getting to a place where they're they're encouraged to do that kind of work, it's it's a great idea, but like, how do you get there? How do you get, like, how did you go to the finance people and say, I need some exploratory time? Like, you know, I, I've got these three years of tickets, but you know what? I need to have a bunch more time to experiment and to explore exactly. rather than deal with these these three years of tickets. So it's going to go to four years of tickets. Like, how do you have that conversation? Uh, I mean, I, I think I think like you know, I can't just go and like talk, you know, have these conversations with finance team. You can't just go and uh, to the finance team and say, like, I want to go just, just explore these projects. They're like, they look at you, it's like, okay, uh, what is the business value, right? 
uh, it, it's irresponsible on, on our side to not do our due diligence before we go to uh, the, the product organization. Right? So I think the first thing we need to do is like, we need to understand, as you said, right? So what's the value, right? Does it even make sense for us to do this? Um, um, what is like, and if I need to reduce my backlog from three years to one year, what is it actually doing, right? Like, you know, it's, we had this question, right? Like, you know, when, when we are doing Zillow offers, our backlogs were like three years old, right? Like, it was just taking three years. So we wanted to add more people to, to cut the um, to cut the uh, the backlogs. But at the same time, that's not like you know, throwing number of people is also not a good solution, right? Like, you know, we need to find a right uh, viable uh, technology or like tools that actually makes our processes faster, right? So, um, so, so we came up with a proposal, right? Like, you know, okay, um, so we want to add like an X number of people and we also wanted to um, work on, on these architecture uh, and, and these, uh, these tools um, that will improve the efficiency for data engineering team. I think that's how we came the idea of data mesh, right? And that's exactly how we came up with the data mesh and why we need to do that. Uh, basically, that's like starting the, the, the discussion, right? So we started doing that. So. I, I was a little like, you know, I mean, I, I would say I wasn't prepared and then I went there and then basically I was started getting all these questions. It's like, you know, I mean, she was just like, you know, would you add like 10 more people, 20 more people? It doesn't seem like the scalable solution that they, that you need to do. What is the better way of doing this thing, right? That's, that's the first question that, that I need to answer. And then the second question is, okay, what happens, right? If if I need to, uh, if I, what happens if I just, this three-year backlog continues to be there but the business is running currently as is, right? I mean, for them, right? It's just like, why? Yeah, why are you asking more more money here, right? So then I I need to basically I had to work with the stakeholders and understanding like you know, why they need it faster. So what would actually happen, right? So it's like imagine like you know, if if we add a resource and then uh, are able to do their uh, pricing algorithm, right? Like improve the pricing algorithm. So now we're actually able to make a and better pricing decisions and probably the, the revenue will increase, right? So, so that piece of information I need to be collecting before we go into finance and then showing them it's like the reason I need to reduce this backlog is not because it's, it's huge, it's because it's adding value to the business in, in this way, right? Either it's like you know, improving the resource, improving the uh, uh, profitability, or improving our revenues, or even improving our. Uh, uh, the uh, productivity of the employees, right? So, so you should be able to like measure in one of those dimensions. So, so basically, you need to do you need to do the homework before we go and talk to them why what we need and why we need from them. One question I would have is when people are looking at your backlog and your workload and things like that, that homework is sometimes really really hard for people to get the permission and the approval to spend time on that homework to say this is so it's it's almost like you just can't get started because you can't even say like this would win us more value with data because you don't have any time to spend on that it sounds like you 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 had some time to go and do the homework to do some preliminary investigation and go we think that there's something here we think that there's value here's why here's what we're trying to do but have you seen that that situation, or have you just been lucky and that you didn't have to deal with that? And then, I, I think, I, I, yeah, I've been lucky in this case. I will definitely say that because uh, uh, the Zillow offers was at the time was the hot business that we were running at the time. 
um, everybody's focus is on there. And then the business teams are actually asking me um, on how we can uh, move faster, right? So it's kind of it helped me, okay, so if you need to move faster, okay, let's, let's spend some time together and like, you know, why we need to move faster, what happens if we move faster. But not everything exactly like that. So, um, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's again, like, you know, how, how do you make um, uh, a, a partner so within your business team to understand, like, you know, where the company's priorities are, how they are investing, right? Like, and uh, uh, where you should be spending your time. Um, I definitely, I, I, I see it's like another you know, tension between the, the lot of things that you need to do versus prioritizing where you need to be focusing on, right? So it's, it, I mean, it's not always like, you know, where you hear a lot of noises, that doesn't mean that's important, right? I mean, I, I understand that one. But you understanding what is the company mission, right? The company priorities. And, uh, um, uh, having that sense of knowledge will help you when you're actually looking at the backlog and, 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 and reviewing uh, where you could be actually making uh, a big dent in, in the business for, 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 the, for, the, uh, for the company. Yeah. And how, I think a, a kind of interesting last way to, to kind of wrap that up is how far does that knowledge, should that be kind of penetrating into the data team? Like, do you expect your data engineers to understand this is the business strategy? And so every time that you're asking, how does this actually contribute to the business strategy? You're asking me to build this this dashboard. So how does this do this? Or, you know, you're asking me to, to clean up this, this pipeline, but what is this actually used for? Like, what is the value of this? Are you asking them to, to learn that as well? Cause I've talked to a lot of people that their, their data, their people on the data team just don't understand their company at all. And the way that they make money and the way that their organization works. No, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's very important. I would start with like, you know, all the leaders, like you know, the leadership needs, needs, team needs to understand the company priorities, how it maps to the data engineering team priorities, including the architecture and platforms teams, right? Like including those teams, like why you're doing something and how it aligns with them. Uh, a little difficult on, 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 the, on the platform side, but I think that's where the leadership team needs to be very um, cognizant of uh, what is the, the company priorities and how it aligns with the, uh, uh, the, the data engineering priorities. When it comes to the data engineering teams that are producing the data sets, I tell my teams 100% of, 100 of my team that like, they need to understand why they are doing it, like, you know, understand the business model. They can't just go and then like, you know, implement the business logic because an analyst told, so that doesn't work like that, right? So then uh, how... how how are you going to make uh, changes um, in the in the in the in, in the data, right? Like, and if something is not right, right? If, if the data has issues, if you don't understand the the data, the first of all, it's it gets really hard for you to debug or like you know in, in, uh, um, and understand like you know where the issues are, right? So that's one. Okay. Two, if you want to do your job very effective. I mean, you need to understand the problem that you're solving. The problem that you're solving here is not just the data, right? The problem that you're solving is also the business problem. So all of my, like, you know, the data engineering teams, they, they understand very well. They, they're able, able to actually answer the questions about uh, a business problem, right? If it's like somebody asks, like, oh, how do we compute this metric? They can go and, and then use the data, understand the schema left to right. 
top to bottom and be able to um, give them the right query and then even actually produce the uh, the right logic for them to go and like you know uh, create that uh, uh, the metric or uh, what they are looking for um, i think it's super critical i'm i'm fortunate that like you know our team was is, is very good at that yeah i think especially what you mentioned with platform work where you say okay this work would speed up our ability to um release data products 40% faster is that of like who is going to assign that a value and who is going to raise their hand and say i want this i i like i am saying it is of this much value so maybe not even i, I will fund it but like in, in a conceptual way i will fund it by saying yes we want them to spend this time on it because it it allows us to do x or y or z you know it allows us to see that this thing has changed much more quickly or it allows us to experiment in this way or that the data team, you know, I had somebody uh, on the business side say their platform team came to them and said, okay, we've built this new platform, migrate all your existing use cases to it. And they were like, okay, but I have this, the existing platform has 25 capabilities that I need for this use case. The new one has six, six of 25. And their platform team says, but it has Spark. (laughs) And and the business person just goes, okay, why do I care? What is the value of that? And so that disconnect of value as to, are we doing something that would be interesting and potentially useful versus somebody actually values it? And and there's a difference between valued and valuable and all that. But yeah, that's... that just keeps coming up all the time with platform work. I know. I mean, that's a very big topic. I think that will take another hour for us to discuss, right? So definitely, like, um, but I would say it's like, you know, you need to treat the platform team as a as another product team, right? You need to understand what your customers want, right? I mean, like the example you gave is a very good example where they did not understand what their customers are looking for. Your, your customers are internal Internal teams that are producing the data, right? Internal teams that are producing the data products, uh, or other data engineers, or other product engineers. You need you need to understand like you know, what they need, what they value most. Uh, it's not like you know I could be solving the toughest problem, which is awesome, right? Like you know, as an engineer, it feels great. But if that is nobody's using that, or nobody's going to be able to use that one, it's a waste of money and waste of my resources. So I, I think it's, it's super important to understand what is the customer wants and how are we solving those problems for them and effectively. It's uh, easier said than done as well. I know, I know. <laughs> so so we've covered a whole heck of a lot of things. Is there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to or any way you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode, any way you want to kind of put a button on it, anything? Um, I think we had a great conversation. Let's As I said, like, you know, um, a... Architecture is important, but also it comes with the, the process and uh, ownership and the quality of the data is very, is very important too. So understanding how you make those decisions based on the, the state of the company that you are in or the team that you are in is, is, is important. It's not like you know, one, one thing fits for everybody. Yeah, the architecture doesn't generate the business value unless it's tied to generating business value. Exactly, <laughs> So um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Where's kind of the best place to do that? Is there anything you want people following up specifically about or just kind of data in general or 
how, how should people follow up? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in LinkedIn. Um, my profile is S-P-A-L-U-R-I. So I'm very active in LinkedIn. Um, you can contact me at any time. And also, you know, I'm a recently joined Redbase as a CTO. Uh, it's a very small, small team that I have. I have like four people right now, including me. It's five people, five developers. Can't, like, you know, I've started writing code, actually. <laughs> That's very fun. Um, so I'm, I am hiring as well. Um, so that's just, it's just good that like, you know, if, if you guys know anybody are interested in like working for a startup in, in a prop tech, feel free to contact me again. You can contact me on the, in the LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Yeah. And we'll drop a link to that in the show notes to make it easy for people to follow up. Well, like, again, Srinivas, thank you so much for spending the time here today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thank you. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Srinivas Paluri, who's the CTO at Rentbase. You can find a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.